In this episode of Trekking Through Compliance, we take up muck time. Compliance, the final frontier. Tom Fox is the voyager of Trekking Through Compliance. His mission? To explore the original series and seek out and share what it can teach you about compliance. Here's your host, Tom Fox. In this episode of Trekking Through Compliance, we consider the episode Amok Time, which aired on September 15th, 1967, occurred on Stardate 3372.7. Story synopsis. McCoy noticed that Spock is growing restless and irritable and that he has also stopped eating. He has thrown Nurse Chapel out of his quarters, physically flinging the Vulcan Plomique soup that she specially prepared for him. After this outburst, he demands leave of absence on his home planet Vulcan from Captain Kirk. Kirk is baffled by Spock's behavior, but has no choice but to divert to Vulcan. However, a priority message forces him to change course back to Altar 6 in order to be on time for the president's new coronation. As soon as he leaves the bridge, Spock orders the course changed back to Vulcan. Kirk orders Spock to sickbay where Bones examines him and finds that he is not brought, if he is not brought to... Vulcan, within eight days, he will die due to extreme stress produced by chemicals being pumped through his body. When Kirk confronts Spock, Spock says he cannot tell him the cause of the problem because it's a deeply personal affair. Kirk eventually cajoles Spock into revealing that the problem is Vulcan biology, which Kirk correctly concludes means Vulcan reproduction. The Vulcan time of mating is known as Ponfar, and it is a very painful and personal experience. It strips away logic from Vulcans and forces them to return to Vulcan to take a mate. Spock compares the need to return to Vulcan to the eel birds of Regulus V who return every 11 years to the caverns where they hatched, and to the salmon on Earth who must return to the stream where they were born in order to spawn. Kirk contacts Admiral Comac at Starfleet Command Sector 9 to request permission to divert to Vulcan. The Admiral denies permission, but Kirk ignores the order and redirects the Enterprise to Vulcan. In the meantime, Spock is frankly flipping out. In one extreme emotional outburst, he mashes his viewing screen to pulp when Uhura tries to contact him. However, he recovers when he learns that the Enterprise is headed to Vulcan. He invites Kirk and McCoy as his two best friends to join him on the surface for a ceremony. On Vulcan, Spock prepares for his Kun Utal Ifi, or marriage or challenge ceremony, with Tipring, to whom he has been betrothed by their parents when they were both seven years of age. Kirk and Spock comment how hot Vulcan is, and Kirk, who evidently is no physicist, says that this is because Vulcan's atmosphere is thinner than that of Earth. The master of ceremonies is Tapau, the only person to have ever turned down a seat on the Federation Council. As the ceremony begins, Tabring rejects Spock and challenges him, Calafi, to battle with her champion, whom she names as Kirk. This upsets her lover, Stan, and pains Spock. After learning that another champion will be chosen if Kirk declines the challenge, Kirk accepts battle with Spock, not realizing it is a fight to the death. Before Spock can kill Kirk with a lirpa, a rod with a blade on one side and a mallet on the other, 
Bone steps in and gives Kirk a shot, supposed to be a triox compound, which will accommodate him to the Vulcan climate and temperature. Instead, Bones actually injects him with a neuroparalyzer, which simulates death. When Kirk conks out, McCoy pronounces him dead and contacts the Enterprise to beam the two of them up. Spock confronts T'Pring and she explains that she is in love with Stan. By choosing Kirk as her champion, she is guaranteed a desirable outcome. If Kirk won, he would not want her, and she would have Stan, together with Spock's name and property. If Spock won, he would not take her for daring to challenge him, and furthermore, he would be tried by Starfleet and then incarcerated. Believing that he had killed Kirk, Spock loses all interest in his treacherous mate and returns to the Enterprise. He is overjoyed to find Kirk alive, betraying his emotion with a big smile, and Kirk is let off the hook for disobeying orders from Starfleet Command when Starfleet retroactively grants permission to divert to Vulcan at T'Pau's request. So what are some of the fun facts from this episode? Well, this is the first ep- episode of Season 2, so we are into Season 2 of the original series, although at that time it was simply called Star Trek. This was the first Star Trek to feature any Vulcan characters other than Spock. This introduced... This episode introduced several important elements of Vulcan culture. Besides establishing the concept of Ponfar, it marked the first use of the salute by T'Pau and the words live long and prosper by Spock. It established a trend among all female Vulcans to have a name beginning with a T and an apostrophe. This episode had many, many firsts. It's the first episode to feature Ensign Pavel Chekhov, Walter Koenig, as the ship's navigator. It's also the first episode to list D. Forrest Kelly as Dr. McCoy in the opening credits. It's the first episode broadcast in the series' second season time slot, 8.30 p.m. on Friday night, a prime time slot. It's the first episode to use the Vulcan salute, and it introduces, for the first time, the concept of Pon Far. Uh... You could say it was the first episode we saw a truly emotional Spock, although uh, we may have seen that in uh, earlier episodes uh, as well. But it really, uh, I think, uh, this episode really shows both emotion, logic, and calculation, particularly with T'Pring and her use of Kirk as her champion, as opposed to Stan. Um, this uh, story is picked up eventually by Star Trek Discovery in 2022. It's a lot of fun. Getting to see Vulcan is, of course, extraordinarily cool. Uh, the reaction by Spock at the end, Leonard Nimoy, with some uh, excellent acting chops as well. So I hope you will uh, check out uh, Amok Time. It's uh, a lot of fun, uh, some great action scenes, and, of course, Uh, Spock with an emotional reaction to bring down the house, according to Dr. McCoy. So what are some of the compliance takeaways from this episode? Well, in the last episode, I asked, what is your triage protocol? But today I want to ask you, what's your investigation protocol? What do you do? What have you set out in writing that is your investigation protocol after you have triaged a matter? Why is this important? Well, number one, you don't want to be uh, trying to put an investigation protocol around after a serious allegation has come in. But equally importantly, for the routine investigations that will come in through the whistleblower complaint, whether they be HR uh, or other matters, uh, you want to know uh, with consistency what everyone is going to do. 
So have an investigation protocol, have an investigation team that you can call upon, uh, do your investigation, uh, take the results, report as necessary. Next, and number two, how do you count within the different cultures within your organization? If you are a multinational organization, you by definition will have multiple cultures. In the FCPA realm, the Department of Justice and Securities and Exchange Commission, as far back as 2012, said in the 2012 resource, FCPA Resource Guide that you need to translate your key co- your policies and procedures and your code of conduct into appropriate languages within your organization. And number three, what is your internal control override? Do you have an internal control override? Well, You can override an internal control if you have a business justification for doing so in writing. I hope you'll join us tomorrow when we take up the episode, Who Mourns for Adonis? If you enjoyed this episode of Trekking Through Compliance, you can help it grow by sharing it with the biggest Trek fan you know. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.